so it's been, uh, let's see if I can get my clicker to work here. There we go. This, this is a phrase that I had not heard before I moved to Georgia. It's been a hot minute since I have been up here on the platform. Um, it was actually about a year and a half ago that was the last time that I was here. And the reason for that, most of you know, is because Crystal and I, after 10 years of waiting to start our family, were able to adopt two beautiful babies. So these are pictures from their first birthday party uh, back in November. Our son Josiah and our daughter Keturah. Uh, I, I'm very biased, so I believe they're the cutest babies in the room. Um, I won't fight anybody over it because I know you all think your babies are cuter, but, but I know mine are. Um, but we have been so blessed, so, so blessed uh, to be able to start our family within the last year. And so, you know, I know that 2020 has been really challenging for a lot of people. And, and I want to acknowledge that I do because there's been a lot going on. 2020 was a tough year, right? Uh, lots of stuff that none of us liked. I was pulling a mask off as I was coming up on the platform. I don't like wearing them. I assume you guys don't. Um, but, you know, that's part of what life is right now. Um, but for us, gosh, 2020 was phenomenal because, you know, the babies were a month and a half old when 2020 started. Uh, so in 2020, they've gotten their first teeth. They've taken their first steps. They've learned to laugh. They've uh, learned to uh, walk for the most part. Josiah's walking. Keturah's trying to stay out of his way while he's walking. Um, but uh, it's, it's been a good year for our family. But I know a lot of people kind of share the sentiment that uh, the Grinch does, that 2020 stink, stank, stunk. I actually saw this on a lot of Christmas decorations for 2020, is that 2020 stink, stank, stunk, just like the Grinch. Uh, but, um, you know, I know that uh, as we were going through all the difficulties within the last year, a lot of people have probably been wondering, where was Jesus, right? Because if, if we're honest, why did we have to struggle with so much? Right? If, if I'm alone in, in that question, then, then correct me, but, but I believe that I can probably speak for all of us when I say that, you know what, we were wondering, Jesus, why didn't you do something different in 2020? And I think a, a more appropriate question for us to ask, however, is where was I? Not where was Jesus, but where was I? Because I believe the position of my heart is more important than my circumstances. And that's what I want to talk with you guys about today. Uh, so I'll be teaching on the topic of abide. Uh, so this is not a word that we use a lot. It's not common vernacular, but it is a word that's used heavily in a particular passage of scripture that I'll be teaching from today. So if you've got an old school paper Bible, I love that Pastor Jim's been using his now. Um, or if you've got the Bible app on your phone, uh, you're welcome to open that up and turn to John chapter 15. And I'll be doing uh, the majority of our time this morning in that passage. Uh, so to give you guys a little bit of context, uh, this passage takes place um, just after the Last Supper. So this is the last meal that Jesus has had with his disciples before he's crucified on the cross. Uh, so it's the Last Supper, after the Last Supper, he's giving them basically his last words, his last will and testament, if you will. Uh, and so I've, I've got to wonder, if, if you knew that it was going to be the last opportunity that you had to speak to somebody and tell them some of the most important things that they should know, what would you say? What would you share? Take, take 2020, for instance. If you knew everything that was coming up, what would you have told people? Buy more toilet paper? Maybe. Use more hand sanitizer? Who knows? But in this instance, Jesus uh, has some certain things that he wants to share with his disciples. And so beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 15, uh, this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And I'm going to read through this passage first, and then I'm going to kind of come back and break down different aspects of it. So we've got uh, 11 verses that I'm going to read through real quick, and then we'll come back and talk through them. Uh, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So that's the primary passage that I'm using this morning. And like I said, I want to go through and break things down, but I think a uh, pretty clear picture, the overall theme is that our job is to abide. Now, what does that mean? Because again, abide's not this really common vernacular. It's not something that we talk about a lot. So what does it mean to abide? And more importantly, how do we do it? You give me a job, I don't even know what it is. How am I supposed to know how I'm supposed to do it? So that's what I want to talk about today is what it means to abide and how we are to abide. So I'm going to start going through again, just a verse or two at a time to talk through uh, what I believe uh, are some some principles and some scriptural truths that will apply to all of us. Uh, so again, in verse 1, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So the first thing I want to talk about is the pruning. Uh, and i got to say, pruning hurts. So if, if you aren't familiar with what pruning is uh, in a, a gardening context, uh, this is where you cut off growth on a plant. Uh, in this instance, they're referring to a vine, so like a grapevine, you cut it back so that it can grow more fruitfully. Um, the thing is that you have to cut into some of the living flesh of the plant. You can't just cut off the dead stuff you have to cut back a little bit of that living flesh so that it's got the source of life that it needs. If you cut it off right where it's dead, it'll still have that little bit of dead spot there, and it won't grow the way that it ought to. My friend Jim McLean, another one of our elders, uh, has talked a number of times about actually doing this uh, in his own backyard. Jim, you've grown, is it grapes? Grapes in the backyard. Uh, I love that you can grow just about anything in Georgia. My wife's the one that really loves it. She's the one that's the gardener. Um, but uh, he's talked about how he, like, he just has to cut them back to this tiny little nub. And man, can you imagine if a plant could talk? What would it say when that was happening? Jim, you probably don't want to know what it would say. It might have some colorful language. Yeah, it, it's, it's embarrassing what it would say, Zoe. It's not, it's not proper to repeat it at church. Uh, so pruning does hurt. And I would wager that some of us have been pruned within the last year. Okay, it looks like I've gotten, here we go. Thank you for getting me back on track. Uh, so have you been pruned the last year? Now, I know that there's been a lot of stuff within the last year that has just been difficult, stuff that we've had to get through, but have you ever looked at it from the perspective of this is something that God is allowing to happen so that you can be more fruitful, so that you can have a closer walk with him? It's not a comfortable idea. I don't like it, but there is a little bit of hope in that because if, if God has been pruning us, that means good things are coming, right? You prune back the, the vine so that it can flourish and it can grow. So, so take hope in that and continue to abide is what I would say to you. Continue to abide because if you've been pruned, that means that God's just getting ready to help you grow and flourish even more. So I have a number of, uh, of principles here that, that I believe are how we abide. And the first one is that we let him prune. It's painful and we don't like it, but if we let him prune, then we will grow and we will flourish. 
So that's the first principle I have is we let him prune. Uh, continuing in John chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I want to take a moment and look at this word abide. Uh, one of the things that we like to do from time to time is to actually look at the original language. Pastor Jim is so good at this. He talks about defining your terms. Uh, we can't always look at biblical language from the lens of the English language. It was written, uh, the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. And so there are times where we have to say, okay, especially when it comes to, to words that may not have the same meaning in our culture today, okay, let me look at the original language and see what that means. And so I did this for this word abide. Uh, it's the Greek word meno, uh, and you probably have no idea if I'm mispronouncing that because I bet none of you speak ancient Greek. Uh, but uh, it means to remain or to abide, and in reference to a place to sojourn, tarry, or not to depart. I really liked that part, not to depart. I thought that was really interesting because I think it's, it helps us to remember, or at least it helps me to remember, that Jesus doesn't leave us. We leave him. So the abiding is not just being with him, but the abiding is not leaving him. And I think that there are a lot of things that uh, cause us to leave Jesus' presence. So I think that's a question we have to ask ourselves is, have I left his presence? Have you let something remove you from the presence of Jesus? Now, again, I'm, I'm looking at all of this. This is like first message of the new year, looking back at 2020. And 2020, uh, in some ways, did stink, stank, stunk, right? Uh, and there, there are some things that I dealt with in my own heart that I had to get over, right? So fear, yeah. I let, I let fear remove me from the presence of Jesus. What's, what's going on? Am I protected? Is my family protected? Do we have what we need? There were times I let fear remove me from the presence of Jesus. How about frustration? Anybody ever get frustrated? Clay's the only honest one in the room. Uh, yeah, so frustration. Um, man, yeah, it's, it's easy to get frustrated, and in that frustration, to let that take us from the presence of Jesus. Uh, and let me, let me give you a, a real-life example uh, it's really easy to get frustrated when it's three o'clock in the morning and my baby has been crying for the last 20 minutes and I don't know what to do for her. Fortunately, my wife is able to, uh, to help out when I'm like, okay, I'm done, I'm over it. But like, it's, have you ever reached that point of frustration where you're just like, I need to just stop and let go? Frustration can remove you from the presence of Jesus. How about anger? This is like next level frustration, right? You let anger remove you from the presence of Jesus. Whether it's angry about political situations or it's angry about job losses or anything else, because I know a lot of stuff has impacted people over the last year, anger is something that can absolutely remove us from the presence of Jesus. How about lust? Lust is one that can definitely remove us from the presence of Jesus, and it's so hard in our culture to put ourselves in a position where we're not being tempted by lust. I can't even go to the grocery store and stand in the checkout line without seeing a half-naked woman on the cover of a magazine, right? Now, for men especially, lust can be very challenging, but it's something that we have to deal with, and we have to try to not let it take us from the presence of Jesus. And again, these are all choices that we make. It's not lust's fault. It's not anger's fault. It's not frustration's fault. It's Caleb's fault or it's Jim's fault. I'm going to pick on him because he's the pastor and he can take it. Uh, but it's, it's something that we have to deal with. We are the ones responsible. It's our choice whether or not to let these things remove us from the presence of Jesus. How about busyness? This one is really, really sneaky, right? Because it's like, well, I'll get to that Jesus after this and this and this and this. I've got a really long honeydew list. The kids need this. I've got to do this thing for work. And I would really love to get a little bit of me time. And so my schedule's just really full. Jesus, I'll read my Bible later. How about busyness? Has busyness ever kept you from the presence of Jesus? One thing that uh, has uh, shown up in my own life again over the last year is mismanaged priorities. Sometimes I let things become more important than they ought to be. I'm sure I'm the only one that does this, right? 
where I have let something in my life, whether it is work or whether it is a personal hobby or any other number of things, become more important than it ought to be. And my wife is really, really good at helping me remember where my priorities should be. So thank you, Crystal, for doing that. I love you. You're so, so good for me. Uh, but have you ever gotten your priorities out of whack and focused too much on one thing or another and not been in the presence of Jesus because you've let your mismanaged priorities take you from his presence? So we have these priorities, we have these circumstances that we have to deal with, and that's our second principle. Uh, first, we let him prune. Second, we don't let circumstances remove us from his presence. Again, it's our choice whether or not to let these circumstances remove us from his presence. So we don't let those circumstances remove us from his presence. And that's really easy to do, right? You just like, oh yeah, now I got it. No? No, it's, it's really difficult because how, how do you maintain that posture where you are able to consciously say, oh, this thing here, this lust or anger or mismanaged priorities, whatever, whatever it may be, how do we maintain that posture where we are present enough to say, oh, this is taking me from the presence of Jesus. I need to set that aside. I need to turn away, whatever it may be. It's difficult to do that, but I believe that the Bible does give us instruction on how to do so. Continuing in verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I was looking at this verse many years ago um, and uh, had a friend say, nothing? You, you can do nothing without Jesus? I mean, come on. And at the time I was like, oh, well, you know, I suppose you can, you can do some stuff, but like nothing good, right? Because I, I hadn't really given it the thought. I hadn't really dug into scripture the way that I ought to. Um, and I wasn't really prepared for that question. But honestly, I believe it's true. I believe we can do nothing without Jesus. Uh, have you ever tried to breathe consciously? Isn't it funny how none of us have to be taught to breathe? Do you know who gave us the ability to breathe without having to think about it? Scripture makes it really clear Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. He was part of the breath of life that God breathed into us. So yeah, we can do nothing without him. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, whether you want to admit it or not, you can't do anything without him. We can't even breathe without him. He is the one that designed our bodies. He is the one that designed our world. We can't do anything without him. So don't you want to be plugged into the source that will let you do those things, that will help you not just do the basics of living, but do so much more. Continuing in verse 6, Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, that's not a pretty picture, but the honest truth is that we do wither without the source of life. I mean, you think about a plant that's not getting its water, right? That thing withers. This is anything I plant, by the way. Anything that crystal plants looks really pretty. Anything I'm in charge of dies immediately. Uh, but if, if we don't have the source of life, we wither and we die. We need him. And we can do nothing without him. So the next step, first we let him prune. Second, we don't let circumstances remove us from his presence. And third, we acknowledge our need. We have to come to him and say, okay, Jesus, I cannot do this without you because we do need him. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That sounds really nice, right? I love those ask whatever you wish passages because then it's like genie from Aladdin and you only get three wishes, but you can't bring people back from the dead. Or No, wait, wait that's not how scripture works at all. Uh, Jesus did come back from the dead, so we're good there. Uh, and he's not a genie. He's not a genie. If you, if you take a, a close look here, it's not just 
whatever you wish. When I was younger, especially in my faith, I loved those passages because it's like, oh, good, I can wish for a lot of stuff. Jesus, I'd like a really nice car. I'd like this. I'd like that. Um, but it's if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. So if we are with Jesus, if, our, uh, if his words are in us, his words, then we can ask for whatever we wish. Now, I will tell you that if you're truly abiding in Jesus, your wishes are probably going to change. And that's part of it is that it changes our heart. But I want to talk for a minute about the different kinds of words that, that should abide in us. Because there, there are a variety of types of words that we can get from Jesus. Uh, first are written words. I'm talking about the Bible. I assume everybody has heard of that. If not, then let's meet up after service and I'll tell you a little bit more about it. I'm sure Pastor Jim would love to as well. But written words. Uh, one uh, little uh, reminder that, uh, that I heard years and years ago that I love is Rescue 119. Not 911 for anyone old enough to remember that TV show, uh, but Rescue 119 because it actually is a scripture reference, Psalm 119, verse 11. So 11911. And it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And this is what Jesus is getting at when he says, let my words abide in you. That we have stored up his word in our heart which we do by studying it, by meditating on it, by praying over it, that I might not sin against you. So this is scripture. Now, I will go on to say that um, I believe that, that there are other biblically-based words that you can read uh, that can uh, speak to you, can be the voice of God to you. Uh, that uh, I, I do want to say, though, these are biblically-based. So if it contradicts scripture, no, nah, toss it out. But there are a lot of good Christian authors and commentators that I, I love to read, and I can read and get more insight into Scripture or more insight into God's truths. Um, but I will say you got to be really, really careful because you don't want to end up like uh, one of these uh, teachers that Pastor Jim was talking about not too long ago that they go off the deep end. Oh, hell's not real. What? That's not the kind of stuff that we need. It has to be founded in Scripture. So these are the written words. And so the question that you have to ask yourself is, do I read my Bible regularly? And if you do enjoy reading those other books, whether it's uh, by other authors or commentators, I would still say this is the question you need to be asking yourself because you can't know if what they are teaching you in those other books is biblically based if you are not reading your Bible regularly. So do I read my Bible regularly? That's the first kind of word I want to talk about are the written words of Jesus. Next are the spoken words. And spoken words can mean a number of things. Uh, first, and primarily, I would say this is prayer. Uh, prayer is huge. Uh, prayer is a conversation with God. And this is a back-and-forth conversation, I believe. And so sometimes that means we need to be quiet and to listen. And sometimes we get to speak. So this is the, the first kind of spoken word. But another kind of spoken word, and this is something that does not happen anywhere but within the church body, is a word from one believer to another. Now, this is something that uh, I've not experienced a ton, uh, but it can be very powerful. Now, again, this should be biblically based. If somebody is giving you a word, they say they have a word for you that is not biblically based, then you need to set that aside. The other thing that Scripture makes really clear is that we are to test those people who have words for us. So, does it come true? And have I got a story for you about a spoken word? So last time I preached, a year and a half ago, after I got down from the platform, a member of our church family came up to me and said, I have a word for you. And this is somebody who, this is not something they do all the time. They're not one of those people that always have a word, right? They'd never done this to me before. I was like, well, that's interesting. But it was a word not just for me, but for me and for Crystal. I mentioned earlier that uh, we, it took us 10 years to start our family. We received a word that we would have the desires of our hearts by the end of the year. We said, okay. You know, again, this person has not made a habit out of always having a word or anything. And so we said, okay, well, we'll, we'll receive that. We'll hear it. 
we were hopeful about what it meant, but we were also like, okay, but, but it's, because this was middle of the year, it was July, and we're like, by the end of the year, that's not a lot of time. You know, there's this whole gestation period, and things got to happen. Uh, I think it was later that same week, Crystal, two weeks later, two weeks later, we receive a text message about an opportunity to adopt twins who were due this year, or that year, excuse me. And by November 14th of 2019, we were holding them in our arms. God gave us the desires of our hearts by the end of the year. That was a spoken word that absolutely proved to be true. So I encourage you to spend that time in prayer and to also be listening for those words that others in your church family might have for you. It changed our life. If we had not had that word, we would not have been prepared for that text message. We would not have been ready to say yes. So the question that I have for you here with spoken words is, am I listening for him to speak? Do I read my Bible regularly? And am I listening for him to speak? Now, one of the things that I want to do is give you some practical tools to abide. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I work for a local college, and one of my jobs, my primary job actually, is to write assignments. And so I'm constantly thinking through, okay, what's going to help students learn this or that, or what resources do they need? And so I wanted to give you guys some practical, hands-on resources. And so I wanted to start uh, with just apps. Just about everyone has a smartphone, right? Just about everyone can download these apps. So first is the Bible app. This is kind of a no-brainer. Uh, the Bible app, or sometimes you'll find it listed as version, is done by Life Church out of Oklahoma City. Uh, fantastic church, absolutely biblically based. And the Bible app does so many things. Uh, first, it's, it's just a Bible, right? It's a Bible that fits in your pocket. The entire Bible can give you a number of different translations. Uh, second, uh, one of the things that I love to use it for are reading plans. So this can be just a scripture plan, like read through the Bible in a year kind of plan. It'll break it down how many chapters you need to read each day. Or it can give you devotionals that go with each of these scriptures, and it can be topically focused. Okay, today I want to read about peace, or today I want to read about loving others, whatever it may be. Uh, one of the newer features to the Bible app that I really love is the daily story. So this is similar to Facebook stories or Instagram stories, and the daily story has the verse of the day, it has the scripture of the day, and then it has a one to two minute teaching from a pastor on that passage. It was super encouraging for me this morning when I opened up my Bible app, and I don't know if anybody else has seen the verse of the day, but it's actually John 15, five, which is the central verse to my message today. I felt that was really cool, God just being like, hey Caleb, here you go, this thing you've been working on, it's definitely for today. So the Bible app, fantastic, fantastic resource. I will not be offended if you pull out your phone in service and download these apps right now. Um, the next app I want to talk about is Blue Letter Bible. Now, Blue Letter Bible is, um, is not as diverse as the Bible app. It only has a, a handful of translations. But what it does have that the Bible app does not are commentaries, which are really cool. You can tap on a scripture uh, a scripture, and you can look at different commentaries, text commentaries, or audio commentaries on that passage. Or you can, and this is the thing that I really love, tap on a scripture, and you can look at the original Hebrew and Greek language and the translations and see how many times that word was used. So Blue Letter Bible is a really, really cool app uh, that, that I love. Both of these are great Bible study apps. The final app I want to talk about is One Minute Pause. Now this app is uh, about a year old, not, not, real, not been around real long, um, and this app is more for prayer than for scripture. Uh, one minute pause, and the idea is that simple. It's if you have one minute, this app will guide you through a one minute prayer. It's a very simple prayer. Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. Jesus, please restore my union with you. Jesus, fill me with more of you. And it guides you through that prayer. The cool thing is, once you've had the one minute, you can do a three minute, a five minute, a 10 minute. So what I love about this app is if you literally only have one minute a day that you can spend with God, this will guide you through that. This will say, okay, let's pray. And it has built in times, especially in the longer pauses, for you to listen, which again is part of the whole prayer thing, not just talking, 
but listening. So the one minute pause. Again, I'm not offended if you pull out your phone and download these apps right now. I used every single one of these apps in preparation for my message today uh, because the vast majority of my message today was composed on a phone while I was holding a napping baby. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if I can do that, you guys can certainly make it happen with whatever circumstances you have in your life. Download one of these apps. Now, the other thing that we have to acknowledge is that sometimes you want no app. Sometimes that phone is annoying and you're looking at that text message or that Facebook notification or whatever it may be and you need to set that thing aside, put it in a different room, turn it off, whatever it may be. Sometimes we need no app because we have too many apps and that's okay. Sometimes I need that as well. And so there are a few tools that I have for you for no apps. And the first is the daily proverb or psalm. Now this is really straightforward, um, but if you may not have noticed, there are typically 31 days in a month. You also may not have noticed there are typically, or not even typically, there's always 31 proverbs. Thank you, Crystal. I see that encouragement over there. Like, there are 31 proverbs, Caleb. Good. And they asked you to teach today? Hmm. So the idea is that every day you read the proverb of the day. Today is the third, so you would read Proverbs 3. Now, the Psalms are not quite as straightforward, but pretty easy. You just have to do a little bit of math. For those of you that need a calculator, well, you might have to pull out a different one because you put your phone away and you can't use that app, but you can figure this out. The idea is that you start the same place with the Psalms. So today I would read Psalm 3, and then I would add 30, and read Psalm 33, then 63, and so on, until I made it all the way through the book of Psalms. So typically, if you're reading the proverb of the day and the psalms of the day, uh, you are looking at maybe 15 or 20 minutes. That's not long, right? And do you know how much wisdom and insight and peace you can get from reading the proverbs and the psalms on a daily basis? And God made it really easy. He said, hey, look, just read the number of the day. The next uh, no app I have for you is SOAP. This is an acronym, uh, and it's actually an acronym that my wife introduced to me, uh, and so I'm going to break it down for you here. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. So this is a Bible study acronym, uh, a Bible study tool. So first you look at your scripture, right? Whatever scripture it may be, I do encourage everyone, don't read a single Bible verse. Read multiple Bible verses. There's always uh, a reason that that verse is there. So read it in context, which is observation. So the observation is the who, the what, the when, the where. And so you're saying, okay, who's the audience? What's being taught to them? Why is it relevant to them? And then you can move on to application. Okay, why is this relevant to me today? How do I apply this to my life today? And finally, prayer. That may be that in this process, God has revealed something to you that you need to pray over, maybe an issue that you're dealing with. It may be that you simply want to pray for more insight into the scripture, but you work through this as part of your Bible study. SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. Another acronym I've got for you is ACTS. ACTS is a prayer guide. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So this is the way that we can approach God in prayer. Now, there are many, many ways that we can approach God in prayer. This is one that I like just because it's easy to remember, and it covers everything that I believe I, I should be doing. First is adoration. I love you, Jesus. How often do we include that in our prayers, honestly? How often do we stop and just say, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. Next is confession. Jesus, please forgive me for whatever this may be. Then comes thanksgiving. Thank you for the many blessings in my life. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Do you know that if you're focused on giving thanks for things rather than griping about things, it's going to change your heart. It's going to change your attitude. And finally, supplication. This is where we ask. We request. And again, if you've gone through these first three, then I believe that maybe that's changed your heart a little bit, and maybe your requests will be a little bit more in line with what God wants for you anyways. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. The final no app I have for you, it's cutting it off at the bottom of the screen just a touch, but it's silence. That means stop and listen. We really love silence, don't we? 
so hard. That was just a few seconds, you guys. It felt uncomfortable to me. I don't know if it felt uncomfortable to you. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we just need to stop to be still and to listen. Now, for me, I have found that uh, this, when, I, when I'm trying to do this, it does definitely need to be a no-app time. Take the phone, turn it off, uh, turn off the TV, uh, typically in a separate room or noise-canceling headphones or something because it is so easy to get distracted. It is so challenging to just stop and to be silent and to quiet our minds and listen. It takes a lot of effort, but I believe it's absolutely beneficial if you can take the time to develop this discipline of silence. So going back to, uh, to how we abide, we let him prune. We don't let circumstances remove us from his presence. We acknowledge our need, and we seek his word. And I've just given you several different resources for how you can seek his word, both in scripture and in prayer and in the, the varying things that those touch. So we seek his word. Continuing in John chapter 15, verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So the question that I have, of course, is what kind of fruit? If we're supposed to bear fruit, now obviously this isn't apples and oranges, that'd be really weird, uh, but uh, what kind of fruit? Now, Scripture talks elsewhere about fruit in Galatians chapter 5, and I believe this is the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Would you like to have more of these things in your life? I certainly would. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Give me just those first three, right? But what I love about this is that the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit, this is not plural, the singular fruit of the Spirit. That means we can have all of these things. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, I do want to point out that not included in this is easiness. Man, I wish that were a fruit of the Spirit, right? Lord Jesus, make this easy. He has never answered that prayer. I don't know why. But it's not one of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, but these fruit do apply to all circumstances. Not all circumstances are easy, but these fruit apply to all circumstances. In the midst of circumstances, you can have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. It's weird, but you can have it. People are going to look at you funny, but you can have it. Now, one thing I do want to talk about as well is that sometimes we get focused on the fruits and we, we make fruit the goal, but the fruit is the result and not the goal. We should not be focusing on the fruit. The fruit is not our job. Our job is to abide, right? And the fruit is the result. I like to look at it as, as a gift. So the fruit is a gift and not a paycheck. A paycheck is something that you work for, right? It's, it's funny, in that same passage in Galatians 5, it talks about things that we work for, but it's not a pretty list. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are the things that we work for, unfortunately, right? That's the work. The fruit is something that we receive as a result of abiding with Jesus. So stop working for the things that bring death. Stop working for the things that bring death and receive the gift of the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, that love, that joy, that peace and patience. It's a gift. So how do we abide? We let him prune. We don't let circumstances remove us from his presence. We acknowledge our need. We seek his word. And now I have to move on to a different slide. You thought I was done because I filled one up. Nope. We receive the fruit. Pastor Jim said I can have 16 more slides of these bullet points, so I'm sure we'll be out of here by 3 o'clock. 
we receive the fruit. We don't work for the things that bring death. We receive the fruit. It is God's gift to us. So as we continue in John 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Abide in my love and keep my commandments. Now, we really like the love part, right? We, we talk about this all the time. Uh, you know, people outside the church talk about the love of God, right? God's all love. We really, really like the love, but commandments, hmm, commandments don't sound as fun, right? We have this negative connotation, I feel like, in our culture surrounding commandments. Commandments are authoritarian, and commandments are, you know, getting put down, and whatever it may be. So we don't like commandments, if we're honest. Commandments don't sound good. We want God's love, but not his commandments. We'd really love to separate them. And, and honestly, you see this happen a lot in the church. You see people kind of cherry-pick scripture. It's one of the things that I, I love that Pastor Jim has been doing is saying, we're not doing that here. We're not cherry-picking scripture and just saying, oh, we, we like the love, but not the commandments. No, we take the Bible as a whole, right? And so we, we want God's love, but not his commandments, but that's not how we can live. Jesus makes it really clear that we need to keep the commandments. But what I love about this passage is, if we go back to it, is that Jesus says, as the Father has loved me. As the Father has loved me. You see, commandments are part of the Father's love. Now, I've got a new perspective on being a father, right? And this is actually something that has been a part of my life already. My kids are one year old, but already I am having conversations with them. Not conversations, they're saying blah, 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 and I'm speaking English mostly. Uh, but uh, having conversations and, and explaining to them, I told you no because I love you. I told you no because that's dangerous. I told you no because that's not good for you, right? I have rules for my kids because I love them. No, you cannot touch the hot stove. One thing we're working on right now, no, you cannot stand up in the bath. You will trip and fall. It's wet. You can barely stand up as is already. We're working on it, but no. I have rules for my kids because I love them, and it's because I know better than them, right? Sometimes we have to trust that someone knows better than we do. Sometimes we have to trust that someone knows better than we do. And we see this really clearly as parents, for those of us that are parents. Yeah, I know better than my children, and sometimes they just need to trust me. But do we trust that God's rules are because he loves us? You see, I believe the commandment issue has less to do with it being authoritarian and putting me down, but more to do with my heart. And do I trust God? Do I trust that he has given me these commandments because he loves me? One of the ways that I like to look at commandments is, is not just as commandments, but as rules for living. Rules for living. Because if we follow the rules, we will have life, and life to the full. Do we trust that God's rules are because he loves us? So again, how do we abide? We let him prune. We don't let circumstances remove us from his presence. We acknowledge our need. We seek his word. We receive the fruit, and we trust and obey. There's an old hymn about that for those of you that have been in the church a while. Trust and obey, there is no other way. Trust and obey. This is how we abide. We trust and obey. Trust that he loves us and trust that his rules are for our good. And then obey. Now Jesus ends here, or at least this is where I'm ending today, uh, in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want to ask you, is your joy full? It's supposed to be. But if I'm honest, my joy is not always full. I have two babies that laugh and play and make me laugh so hard, and my joy is not always full. So if my joy is not always full, and I know, again, we already established mine are the cutest babies in the room, you guys' babies are not bringing you as much joy, right? Your, your joy is not always full. Or if you don't have babies, whatever, whatever's in your life, probably your joy is not always full. 
And so what do we do about that? We have to abide. Now, the reason that I, I bring this up is because of 2021, right? Not 2020. 2020 is over with, but it's, it's really funny that there are so many people, and I see this online, I see it in conversations, or I hear it in conversations, they're like, oh man, just get through 2020, right? Oh good, everything's done now. Coronavirus is gone, right? Political situation is resolved. Rioting is done. Oh no, none of those things are done. Hmm. The truth is that we don't know what 2021 is going to bring. I'm hopeful. I am praying. I believe God is working. But the truth is, a lot of this stuff is still up in the air. We're still dealing with a lot of the junk that came out of 2020. And let's, let's not blame it on a year either, right? This is, this is part of life. Some is harder than others, but we don't know where things are going. We can be hopeful. But the real key is not just to be hopeful, but to abide, to abide with Jesus, to have joy in the midst of hardship. So however things pan out over the next months or years or decades, uh, you know, there's always going to be something, right? We, we live in a world that is constantly plagued with disease and war, natural disasters. There's always something. So we get through it, and not just through it, but we have joy in the midst of it by having that relationship, by abiding with Jesus. Now, I want to take a moment and and just look at what that might look like. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing about joy. Right? He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Wouldn't it, nice, wouldn't it be nice to not be anxious about anything? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this phrase, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That's when you have peace in the midst of crazy circumstances and people are giving you funny looks because they're like, hey, aren't you as worked up about this as we are? No. I know where my peace is. I, I know where I belong. Now, the really interesting thing about this is that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter under house arrest, but he was confident in Jesus. So uh, the Apostle Paul was under quarantine, you might say, not allowed out of the house. And honestly, he had it even harder than we have because he had a death sentence looming. He didn't know when. Wasn't allowed out of the house. Knew his end on earth was coming. But he had joy in the midst of his circumstances. Not only did he have joy in the midst of his circumstances, but he was writing to others so that they might have joy in the midst of their circumstances. We want to rejoice in the midst of our circumstances. We want to have that joy, and that only comes by abiding with Jesus. So one more time, how do we abide? We let him prune. We don't let circumstances remove us from his presence. We acknowledge our need. We seek his word, both the written word and the spoken word. We receive the fruit. We trust and obey. And finally, we commit and follow through so that we can have that joy. We commit and follow through. So the question remains, what will you give up so you can abide with Jesus? Now, I know I talked about New Year's resolutions at the beginning, and I'm not a big fan of them, honestly. But you know what? We're three days in, so you can make a resolution, and it'll probably stick because you didn't start it on the first, right? I think that's how it works. Uh, but, but I believe that you know, if, if our lives seem too full to spend that time with Jesus, something's got to go. Now, believe me, I know it's hard to let something go. Again, I've got one-year-old twins, right? Where is the time? But the, the beautiful thing about this, and I have to thank my wife, Crystal, uh, for, for talking about this with me, uh, and it's something that God has been teaching her, that you can trust that God will use whatever time you have. You know when Crystal reads her Bible? At night, when the babies are asleep. Between wake-ups for bottles or diaper changes or whatever. 
You know when I read mine? In the morning, before anybody else is awake, because that's about the only time I can make happen. Or I can find one minute or five minutes, maybe around lunchtime or mid-morning, and use that one-minute pause app. God will make the most of whatever time you give him. So I'd like to invite you to pray today. For those of you in the room that have a relationship with Jesus, my challenge and my prayer for you is that you would commit to abide, that you would take some of these practical tools and say, okay, I'm going to use this app or I'm going to use this practice and I'm going to abide with Jesus. And I'd encourage you to make it a daily habit. Now, once a week on Sunday morning, that's good, right? God uses that. He'll use whatever time you have. But I believe most of us can probably figure out how to give him at least a few minutes every single day to spend some time in prayer or to read our Bible or, or both, because I believe we desperately need both. For those of you in the room that don't know Jesus, I invite you know him, because without him, you cannot have those fruit of the Spirit, that peace and love and joy, patience, kindness. We need those things. So I'd love to just pray for everyone right now, if you'd like, uh, and for those of you that are online, uh, if you can just stop whatever you're doing momentarily. I'd like to just close our eyes, quiet our hearts. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. We love you, Jesus. Lord, forgive us for how we have how we've mismanaged our priorities, or how we have let other things take us from your presence. Please, Jesus, help us to, to not let that happen anymore. Thank you that you have given us the gift of your word. Thank you that you have given us the, the gift of prayer and the ability to, to hear you speak through others. Thank you that you love us enough to, to make that happen in our life. We ask that you would help us to commit to abide with you, Jesus, that we would experience all of the fruit that comes from abiding with you. Lord, make our hearts one with yours. We love you and we praise you. We give all glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, thank you so much. I encourage you, go abide and go change your world.